Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? Hello everyone and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. We're on uh, we're on episode nine, I think now. This is episode nine. So this is a two-part episode, and the first part of the episode we discuss leadership. We discuss leadership from a uh, from more of a firefighter point of view, and today we're gonna have a chat with some officers about what uh, what they feel leadership is, and we're gonna get a little bit into some other bits and pieces. So first of all, I'd like to say that I am here with four members of my firefighter family. I am with Ash. Hello. I am with Scott. Hey. I am with Spence. Hi, Carl. And we have a captain in today, and his name is Grant. Grant. Hello. There you go. And also, we have from our extended firefighter family, we have the man from the south. We have Mr. Todd. Hello. And Todd is also a officer. <laughs> So we're going to start with just doing a quick recap. So we, we spoke about the three different types of leadership last time, right? Correct. So Ash, seeing as you led this in last time, you can lead us in again. Oh, lucky me. Yeah, so we talked last uh, week This there. leadership is. This leadership is. <laughs> Autocratic. It is democratic. It is. No, it's. Not leadership lightning or leadership grease. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, grease so leadership. This leadership, yeah. Anyway, we've gone off the rails already. Um, so you have your democratic, your autocratic, and your laissez-faire. Um, we talked at length about the different kind of um, the test, you know scenarios that they could come into play on <clears throat> and off the fire ground. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So <clears throat> we expanded a little bit, or we expanded a little bit on that as well when we got into Scott's favourite subject, which is Scott. My favourite subject is me? <laughs> <It's> your favourite <laughs> subject. Fact. Well, yeah, that is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> My favourite subject is me. <laughs> what is your favourite subject? Oh, in regards to leadership. In regards oh, to the Jocko podcast, yes. yes. And, and the Jocko world in general. Yes. So decentralised command. And in fact, there's a new book out. There the is. economy of leadership. <laughs> <laughs> I really want free stuff. <laughs> That's all I want. So, yes. Yeah, so it was the decentralized command that we were talking about, right? So did you want to just touch a little bit more on, or touch on decentralized command and talk about what that is? Yeah, yeah. like um, Ash was just saying, it's it's um, it's kind of like the fourth, uh, it would be like the fourth leadership, or fourth style, I guess, as we said last week. Um, and it's more along the lines. It's almost laissez-faire, but... It's almost a, com- a combination of the three, and it's like like a dichotomy of those three put together. So, you have uh, if you have well trained guys, and you can let you can kind of let them go on their own, and they will get the job done, and you don't have to be over their shoulder the whole time. But at the same time, you're not like just letting them do whatever they want. They still have some uh, you fall in the commander's intent, like we talked last week. Um, so it still has a structure. But they're um, it's decentralized command, so they're not they don't have to go but check back with the chief every two seconds to make sure everything's okay. So yeah, right. I guess that's the easiest way to say it. Okay. So yeah, we we discussed those four. We 
discussed the main three, and then we added the fourth, and we chatted a little bit about that too. So, <clears throat> I'd like to hear some a little bit more now from the from the captain guys, and maybe we can discuss. Um, well, let's let's first Todd, let's just check in with you, and we'll go with uh, maybe just talk a little bit about yourself, like what, because you're also a paramedic, right? Yes, you betcha. Um, Yes, well, I've been in the fire service for, I guess, 20 years officially, and unofficially 22, probably, because... I started. You just I creep think, in the fire. Oh, what did you do? Yeah, yeah, no, how old what's are that? you? <laughs> <laughs> well, unofficially, because uh, I grew up in the fire service. My my father was uh, in the fire department. He got a few years back. He got his fifty year pin uh, for years of service. Um, so of course that led me into. As soon as I was sixteen, I started carrying a pager. As soon as I was able to drive, um, and like I said, you're in, kind of like that the high school student program that a lot of departments have. Um, I was involved with the fire department, but not officially a member until you're 19 of age. So um, you've been doing it for quite a while now, and I was lucky enough I've, I've bounced around from a couple different departments when I've moved. I started in my hometown. I was there for a number of years, and then when I moved up to uh, here, I joined your department. I was here for about 10 years. And then, um, oh, I was also prior to that, I was in a, uh, a full-time department, but I was a paid-on-call and a live-in for that department. And then uh, I ended up moving back to my hometown and rejoined the department there as well. So it's been a lot of years now. Um, also, with the, for- the Forest Service, I think I spent 14 years, it was, with them doing the... No, seriously, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> Is this consecutive? Is there an overlap? <laughs> like, I was telling yeah. <laughs> I did it at the same time. Some concurrent, yeah. I'd hope. Actually, that's, yeah. that's your new Unless name, timeless talk, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> well, at least the Forest Service was. It was pretty casual, right? It's just summer times, and it was just a contract cruise, the warden cruise. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Gained a lot of experience with that. Um, and then the ambulance service, of course, I was paying the bills. Um, and, yeah, with them, I'm... I'm almost 20 years now, so, and I've been full-time with them for, uh, fuck, you are old, dude. 14 14 years now, (laughs) full-time, so. (laughs) Not as old as you. Look Look at that. Look at how much hair I got compared to you. Mine's gray, but yours is. uh, Grant, you uh, you were forestry, were you not for a piece? Yeah, that was more in high school, though. Yeah. So, yeah. so maybe let's just come over you quickly as well, and then we'll go into the, the, the leadership. Yeah, so I did. Uh, my dad worked for the BC Forest mm-hmm. Service for 37 years, so we grew up with that, too. Yeah. Riding around in the truck, going to spot fires. In a time where they didn't have a lot of aerial stuff like they do now, we lived actually at a remote forestry station. So whenever there was a call, I hopped in the truck with my dad. This was a family nice. affair. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I didn't really get to get out of the truck. I had to stay in the truck, so I got to watch what was happening. I was pretty young at the time. That's what happened to me when I was a uh, a new paid-on-call in a full-time department. You get all geared up, ready to get out, and the full-time captain turns around and says, No, you stay in the truck. I'm like, shit, come on. That happened the first time I was here with an officer. And, I mean, I had 18 years, although... You know, here is, was distinctly different from the last apartment I was at before I moved here. But the first call, that big apartment building fire mm-hmm. behind uh, 7-Eleven there, yeah. 
I mean, I raced into town. I was on the third truck, the truck that's not here anymore. And the officer in charge, who was the driver, said, everybody's hoppy out. He's like, no, you stay here. And I was like, yeah. what are you staying for? I have a, I have a lot you. of experience. Like, So we're hanging out on the corner in the truck. And I'm like. I felt the same way, but I was young. Like I was, I was 20 years old, 21 years old. And now looking back, you totally understand it, right? Because, you know, as an officer, you know, you want to know the guys in your truck. You want to know their abilities, what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. And uh, at that true. time, I was I was new to that department, and they didn't really know me very well. I've only done a handful of practices with them, but I was a live-in at the hall, so I got to jump on the truck doing a lot more calls. Um, but yeah, they didn't know me yet, so it made sense afterwards, but I, was, I felt like crap at first. Mm. Yeah. yeah, certainly true. And the officer didn't know what my level of experience mm-hmm. was, you know, certainly. Yeah, forestry. I'm not that old, actually. Forestry. <laughs> I started. I started very similar to you. For me, it was it was a high school program, uh, summer program, work experience, and uh, so I got in with that right away. And I started doing spacing trees and tree planting, and that led into the forest fire fighting aspect of it. So, what was your best tree planting day? <laughs> uh, when we were when we were because I was a tree planter. I just want to. <laughs> when we were told we didn't have to go out because uh, something screwed up. I'm not looking for excuses. I'm looking for results. Here. <laughs> Of the tree planting podcast. <laughs> there was never where a good tree just, planting day. Just Next that? week we'll talk about paint drying. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, I was just, I'm curious. You can cut this out if you want. I just want to know. I'm guessing yours is higher. Well, I was a very competitive guy, so yeah. I don't know if it was higher. I'll tell you, it was 3,600 trees was my best day. In a day? I have no idea. In a day. I was 16. Yeah. I didn't care. And there's two guys who planted that more trees than answer. me and my planting partner. Yeah. You planted 3,600 trees in a 3, day. 3,600 trees my best day ever. Jeez. And two guys in another crew planted 3,800. Just devastating. It was a good day when there's toilet paper nearby. <laughs> <laughs> don't you have any on the end of your shirt? <laughs> It was my uh, boxer leg. Actually, I had to cut off. <laughs> so flipping over back onto leadership. Oh, that right. really <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna uh, we're, we're gonna talk a little bit just about because um, we were talking about our change in leadership, and I just want to touch because you went through one as well, and it would be interesting to see uh, and hear maybe a little bit like like how yours went because obviously different department and different area. So I just want to know how your your end went. Really, just curious. Um, yeah, so yeah, so we've got new leadership now as far as our chief goes, and um, it was uh, it was a difficult change. It was difficult getting into that process of getting people's mindset of thinking, okay, why do we need this change? You know, and what are the st- what's the next step? Um, a lot of people didn't want to say anything. A lot of people didn't didn't want to make those political statements for the change um, because you know. As a small town, we all know each other. You're all your friends with each other for the most part, and uh, nobody wanted to be that guy that spoke poorly of that chief or having that chief thinking that we're undermining him or you know want something somebody different. However, you know change had to be made. Uh, some people get stuck in a rut and don't don't cha- uh, train properly. They don't come out and see what the officers are teaching. Um, you know if you don't have that continuity of training, it's it's going to be a problem so uh, once that change was made it's been a very positive very positive outlook Um, our current chief is great he's he's one of our our, definitely our leaders on the fire scene he's out there um, leading by example it he hates having to step back and look at the big picture and delegate he still really likes 
getting his hands dirty, if you will, and getting involved, uh, which is, I feel, which is a great attribute because he stays in touch with all his members. Uh, he really, um, yeah, I guess just really stays in touch with the training. He's very active, proactive, um, knowing what people are doing constantly uh, within the training and knowing the members on how, what they'll actually excel with and where they struggle with. So you can really pick your crews that way. Uh, it's definitely, it is a, a hard change when you have a chief that's been there for a long time. Um, it's taken a little while to get everybody comfortable with things, but it's, it's rolling really well now. Good. Yeah. Good. It's good to hear. Yeah, we've all been through it quite recently. You, you brought something up there which we had discussed uh, a little bit last week. And uh, we were talking about the um, brain moment. We were discussing uh, officers on training and how oh, yeah. it is extremely important for all officers to be on training. And mm -hmm. Grant, what's your opinion on that? Because you, you do, you show up, you're, you're there. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. I don't know if you want me to expand. expand yeah, maybe just a little. Just just how from a from a from a captain's point of view, from an officer's point of view, how do you feel um, being on the training? Uh, it, it obviously helps you know what's going on, obviously, but it keeps you fresh and things. So just maybe just speak to it, why it's why it's important for you guys to be there. Well, we need to know what the skill set of the team members are. So I need to know what Ash, what Spencer, what Scott, what Todd when Todd was here, what everybody brings to the table. So if you're not attending, if you're not at the training sessions and realizing that Spencer is good at mechanical work and would do a great job at cutting apart the car than somebody else who has no mechanical work, you know, who can't drive the truck, you don't Points to Scott. You don't, you don't put, you don't, you don't let Scott drive the truck the or run the pump because that's, that's not what he excels at. So yeah. I think when you, the more you attend and the more you get to know everybody that's in the department, you play to everybody's strengths and you utilize everybody's strengths. Um, yeah. So if you, if you're not observing that, you're not going to excel with your team. Yeah, yeah, you have to. It's very important. And on the flip side of that too is to, to know their weaknesses, right? Know their limits. Yeah. Uh, some people are, you know, might not be comfortable with a confined space or a different type of an environment. Um, some people may not like blood or vomit, right? Uh, other people might not bother them. So you're going to pick your crew, you know, before you go send somebody in to go help the paramedics in, in a horrific car accident. You might not grab that um, that new person and send them in, or somebody say pretend Scott, you know, blood makes him pass out. Well, you're not going to say, hey, Scott, go help that paramedic hold that broken limb and realign that or whatever the paramedic wants you to do. You know, you're going to have somebody who's pretty seasoned and comfortable with it. So you got to know their limits. Like for me, my limits, I make sure my members know and my fellow officers know. Um, you know, for me, I've, I'm never up to speed with, uh, with ropes, with rope work going down over the embankment because I was always the medic, get thrown down over the bank to go treat the, treat the patients. So I don't have that rope experience compared to some other people. So um, generally, if something happens, they know to send me down the bank because I'm the right guy for the, the patient, or else I'll be in a command uh, situation um, overlooking everything versus, say, Scott's bang on with the ropes. He's going to be that team lead in charge of the rope systems. I don't know if that's true, but it's <laughs> it'd be more spent. But it's knowing it's knowing the crew, the crew members' limits as well. It's, it's important balance. But 
Yeah, it was just, just we had a call the other day where we had a uh, actually a fatal MVI, and just a crew we had on the truck was you know we had we had Warren who we've talked about before, he's a paramedic, and you know, and I was on there, and there was a uh, one of the other guys. So the crew we had was actually really good because in dealing with that situation, whereas some of the other guys, I was, I was thinking, well, maybe we because we were actually ta- I was talking to somebody else who just started in another department today. And she was actually asking, how do you deal with that? I said, well, if you can't deal with it, there's always other jobs. And we talked about this before. There's always other jobs on the fire ground. Just when you hear it's an MBI, and maybe if you know it's going to be a fatal, um, maybe don't get on that first truck where you know you're going to be dealing, dealing with the body. Be on that second truck where you can maybe be doing traffic control or something along those lines. Or if you're on the first truck, you can always just move equipment. There's always enough people around that will get, get in there. Doesn't it's no there's like you're a lesser person. You have other skills. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Grant, would you say that because um, you you've been in the back with me actually, you've been in the back of the truck. But the the times where you do take the seat in the front, what's your process when you first get in the truck and you see the people in the in the back? Like how do you what do you do? Because I know we were talking about when we were getting in. The, so when we very first arrived to the scene and everyone's trying to grab their boots and their jackets and they want to get on, we all kind of do that that stare around of who's getting on the truck with us. Am I adding value? What role am I taking right now? Um, and it's something that you're, you're trying to... You're doing mentally as you're walking towards the vehicle. You know, what seat should I take? So obviously with you being a red hat, you're, you're going for the front seat nine times out of ten unless someone's already there or something else regardless right normally that's the situation um so when you do get to that seat and you see who's in the back i guess uh, what's your process why well, so i think in in this kind of scenario you're looking for the leadership kind yeah. of answer so i mean the officer's seat has a ton of responsibility i think um and you're trying to listen to the radio you're feeding information to the driver the truck what's happening what am i going to need you're certainly when i look in the back you're you're looking at who the three people in the back is and what do they bring to the table for sure and you're applying that to the scenario i don't know if i could uh, put it exactly into words but just being wise in the use of your resources so again we come back to that point of the, the only way you would have known that information is if officers were obviously at the training and going through that process and learning what people were good at to be able to know what your resources are sat in behind you. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, just uh, jump on with that as well. Um, like for us, say if, if we have a uh, rescue call out of town, um, we generally just send the one truck. And same as you guys, I'm sure, mm-hmm. unless extenuating cir- circumstances arise. So depending on manpower, we're very low on manpower during the days. So it's hard to get picky, if you will, on who gets on what truck. But sometimes you need to make that call. You, got, you have to ask somebody to step off the truck and put somebody else on. Uh, and it's nothing personal, but it's knowing uh, who is capable of doing what job and how well, especially when you're on a skeleton crew up in the, up in the Thule somewhere. Because you're not going to have that second, third truck with more people coming in that you can just pick from and work as a huge team. You know, you got to really isolate the guys that are going to be on that truck because you might only have four or five guys tops performing an entire rescue. So you definitely need to know those guys. And that comes down to that training, being out there, getting out <coughs> in your training nights. Uh, and for the Chiefs as well, they have to be part of that training. they got to be 
uh, observing what everybody's doing. They don't necessarily be need to be hands in, but they need to see what are my officers teaching. You know, they need to be aware of the skills and the skill sets of all the other members. Yeah, like we completely agree. Completely agree. I don't think anyone in this room disagrees with that, <laughs> Spence. So we're driving home the uh, skills and the weaknesses and the strengths of firefighters <coughs> and the captains needing to know that, and that's why they should be on training nights. How about uh, leading by example? Totally. We talked last week about uh, training in the rain and the muck and the snow, and sometimes you just don't want to. <coughs> and if you see that the captains, the red hats, kind of hang back and, geez, you know, I don't really want to be out in the rain tonight, what does that say to the crew? When there's a guy um, out there saying, okay, let's go, I'm at the front of the forefront of, of training with a red hat on, even though it's miserable out there, guys are going to be more apt to follow him. Yeah, yes, yeah, and that, that goes over to your um, <clears throat> your analogy with the the banking. What is it? The oh, oh, leadership, leadership capital. capital. Leadership capital. capital yeah. There you go. Yeah. Very much. So. Coin in the terms. Bank. Yeah, yeah, same sort of thing, right? Yeah, you got to keep building up because you're gonna have to spend it one day. <laughs> you got to keep it in the bank. Cause, <laughs> yeah, because you're gonna spend it whether it's in little bits or you're gonna spend it all at once. Possibly get them to do something they really don't want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, every like Spencer was saying, every little bit when you're training helps if the guy's there. And I think one thing we, we've we've kind of come back to here recently, since we had the change of leadership that we had in the last few years, <clears throat> was the the fire officers are actually becoming attack officers again. Because for a while there, it was literally like the fire officers were were standing on the perimeter of the building, and uh, they were you know they were taking that they you know our former chief was. You know, he had some ideas. He he thought it would be better to have the officers on the exterior of the building, um, on the four corners, um, observing us. The problem is when we went in, what ended up happening is, as one of us, like Spencer or I, or when Todd was still here, um, we would kind of just become like the default leader. So all of a sudden, now there's another kind of captain who wasn't actually a captain, but now we're inside. And I know Ash alluded to me making a plan inside the smoke the other day. Well, part of it was because the, the captains, they didn't have their SCBAs on. So, so yeah, we, we would come up with plans while we're sitting inside the, the IDLH environment, figuring out what we're doing. Because at the time, that the former chief didn't believe in sending the officers in. Um, so now we've gotten back into that. And so now we're just starting to train the officers. We're trying to work them back into our, our system. And I don't think they should be, and I don't think any of us would agree to this, like they shouldn't be on the nozzle. Uh, they shouldn't be on the very tail end either. They should be somewhere kind of in the middle. So they're kind of out of the action, so they can oversee everything, but they're out, they ought to still be with the action. So they can relay back to command what's going on. Right. Grant, you did a little fist pump there where, when uh, when Scott was saying that you guys are now going to be kind of back <coughs> working. Well, I wouldn't be in this position if we weren't back in that working position. Yeah. Yeah. i got to be doing stuff. We talked about that even before Yeah, the vote came up. Because I was like, yeah, no, I need to get my hands dirty too. Yeah, I need to be active. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, how do you? I guess. What on on your end then, Tom? How do you guys drive kind of not necessarily motivation, but how do you get your captains to to how do you get people to attend? How do you get people to show up? That's always a challenge, I think, with any volunteer department. Um, you know, certain months, I think you're going to get a lot more people showing up. Um, summer months, it's hard. Uh, people always, it's easy to find an excuse not to come. 
Um, however, you do need you need that spice. Uh, you you gotta have an attraction for people to keep coming back, and that comes down to your training. Um, you know, with the playbook now, it's becoming a lot more uh, paper-based education, getting in, doing some exams, which uh, nobody likes, but it's uh, it's important. You know, it's a like we'll allude to later. It's it's a balance of education and training. Um, and you need to make those practices exciting. Um, it's a hard balance sometimes because sometimes, you know, you're going to be doing that ladder practice that everybody's done a million times or a SCBA practice that people don't want to do anymore. But it's important just because Spencer's won SCBA <coughs> 300 times doesn't mean that, you know, this new guy here is only worn it 10 times might not be comfortable yet. So it comes down to knowing your members again and, you know, Spencer could be a great um, mentor to this new person uh, just because he's he's been in that position for so long. So even though we're doing a, a training that a lot of people look at and say, oh, well, why, why did I come tonight? Because we're doing an air pack scan. Well, it's not just air packs. It's we're doing a air packs, but we're doing a search or whatever. You, t you tie a few things in together. And you know then that person who is weaker on SCBAs is going to get some more experience. The guys that feel that they've done it a million times, well, they're going to get some more experience and do another task. Um, however, they'll be able to mentor that other person as well. Maybe some little tips and tricks that they've learned away, and that comes into that experience level. Yeah, nice. Yeah, everyone needs a Spence. <laughs> Is there a hashtag associated with that? Great one. It's happening. It's happening. So, um, elements of leadership, Scott. I know that you had. Uh, Oh, or sorry, no, it was Todd, right? Yeah, yeah. So you had, you had alluded to this earlier when we were just having kind of a bit of a chat. So nope. maybe let's uh, maybe let's break into your notebook there. Wow, <laughs> Todd brought notes. He's like the only person who brought notes. Like I've been, I, I, no one brings notes. No one brings notes. We just straight wing. Well, it. Yeah, before we started recording, I told Spencer, I said, you know, like this is this is one thing that I feel is very important for training. Uh, for not not for training, but for any any leadership. Um, however, it's uh, it's one of those things that it's hard to remember all the key points. So that's why I wrote it down. Brought <laughs> someone appreciates yeah. it. And you know what? <laughs> Part of being a, le a leader or a mentor is being prepared. So I'm trying to be prepared. Well documented. <laughs> there you go. Well documented. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I recently read an article and watched a video clip from um, he was a U.S. Deputy Fire Administrator, Doctor. Dennis O'Neill. There's a name drop. Maybe we can get some money for that for your podcast. But it was really good. So it talked about the four elements of leadership. Um, them being education, training, experience, and continuing education. And this falls into a lot of my full-time job as well. Um, so education is about the future. Uh, education is about what you know and is about learning and learning how to learn and how to discover new things. Training. Training is about the past, it's what you do, and it's about perfection of techniques and it's about doing, right? And practicing those techniques. Um, experience is applying what you know and can do to an existing or future problem. Uh, continuing education is about staying current in your profession, what's new, what no longer works, and what works better. 
And I listened to him talk about these, and he, of course, elaborates into a lot more detail with this. Um, but it really resonates. And the, one of the examples he used, and I hope I don't butcher it, was a doctor. So, Spencer, you go to a doctor, and this doctor says, well, you know what, I've read every book on this disease, no problem. I've, I've read so many things. I've trained, um, or not trained, but I've just I've educated myself for years and years on this. But I've never done any surgeries. But you're going to be fine. I'm, I'm going to do it because I've read a lot about it. I know, what to, I know what to do. Then the other doctor said, well, I've been doing operations for 30 years. I've got tons of experience. I must have cut open and operated on 30,000 people. Uh, but, you know, those, those books, I, I don't read them. They just bore me. You know, I, I know what I'm doing because I've done this for so long. Are you going to want one of those doctors to perform a surgery on you? Probably not. I'm going to want the doctor that's got a mixture of all four. He's well-educated. He's well-trained. He's got a lot of experience in the OR, and he continues his education on new current methods, right? So it's about a mixture of, of all four of those things as being a... Dichotomy. In, if you will. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, been, he's been waiting. <laughs> waiting. <laughs> say the D word. Like, they just say the D word. It didn't open, but they moved, and that's what they were saying. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I want to change my answer from last week when you asked me <laughs> when I look for leadership. That that's what I look for. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, and it was it was a really good, um, really good segue at how he talked about it. And uh, it's true, you know, you look at a lot of stuff, and even in my job, you know, we have to be educated to get started in our career. You you train constantly, and you get you build that experience. And I've gained a lot of experience in my career. However, as we all know, you know, in the fire service, a lot of people say, well, I've done this this way for 30 years. Why do I need to do it? Well, great. There's your experience, but you're not doing that continuing education. Right? You need to find what's new, what no longer works, or if something's working better. So you need a good combination of all four of those. Wait, wait. Mm -hmm. Grant, you got an opinion on that? No. Look there from Ash. Yeah, I mean, it's a, <laughs> I mean that's a good perspective for sure. Yeah. Just yeah. sitting back, taking everything in, it's a, a bit of a different dynamic tonight. And yeah, it is different. Well, we have officers. You're right. Yeah, we have <laughs> best best behavior and all that. Yeah, got to be on our, our, our tip top. Be prepared. Never mind. We have officers. We've got guests. Guests, <laughs> and we interact differently with guests. Well, there's prepared room. guests. Is... It's, it's challenging with prepared yeah. guests. I don't know. Like, we just we wing it so much and. It's just a different, it's a different perspective. I don't know. But so, I mean, I would agree with those things. I would absolutely agree with those things. Education um, is, I mean, there's no question. Mm. It is important. It is. Mm. If you don't educate yourself, you, like if you're not training, if you're not educating, if you're not moving forward, you're falling behind. Yeah. I, I don't know how, you know, yeah, I mean, you said it right there. I don't know if I can elaborate it any more than that. I mean, you can take a look at people through doesn't matter how many times you've taken a CPR co course or a class or you have to renew or you have to recertify. You will learn something. You probably learn something new every time you go through that, yeah. whether it's the way the instructor's teaching. Maybe it's not CPR itself, but there's always new standards, new guidelines. Mm -hmm. Those have, How many times has CPR changed a lot. through your career? A, a lot, right? Every five years, maybe? Yeah. And you know what? I always used to tell my students when I'm working on car is that, you know, there's not a day that goes by when I come to my work and I, I do my shift where, you know, I think, ah, that was a waste of a day. You know, I didn't learn anything. Why do I even bother coming in? You, you should be taking something 
out of that shift home every day that you've learned. Whether it's something simple as an, an address or a better route to get to a house or less speed bumps driving, driving to the hospital or something in-depth medical with uh, talking with nurses and physicians or how you treated a patient. Um, you know, I've constantly learned from different partners over my career. Uh, everybody does something a little bit differently. So it's being open-minded and learning about uh, the changes and that, that new education, like you said. So I think you can, there's different, I'm sure there's different little phrases for all these little elements of leadership, but the big one is being open-minded and that continuing education. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that kind of touched on what you were saying. <coughs> yeah, what did you like to do? Yeah, yeah. the first thing that comes to mind. Open-mindedness. Open-mindedness. Yeah. Oh, it, it makes a huge impact. On, on everything as well like if we're if we have somebody who's extremely close-minded and they're very focused on them and how they want to do something it's a brick wall that everyone's now got to try and climb to get anything done it's just that it's just it takes so much effort and that's why you see situations like departments have gotten into in the past where they just succumb to the brick wall and they're happy to stay on that side of it but if you do have somebody who has an open mind and is willing to kind of work with you a little bit you can bounce some ideas. Not every one of them is going to fly. No, no doesn't necessarily mean, you know, no. It means, you know, not right now. But there's always there's always other ways of looking at it. Ash? Well, I think just sitting back here tonight, I kind of said we have a bit of a different dynamic. Things are coming across. And, I mean, I'm, I'm loving this. Listening to what Todd was just speaking to there, I mean, basically what everybody's been saying tonight, what I love about what we're doing locally here, what you guys are, you know, doing down south, and what more and more people are moving towards, I feel in days past, the officer position was where firefighters went to die. You know, they they were getting not. It's, it's true. It's wow. Like, yeah. Back in the day, it sure seemed back like in that. the day, right? Yeah, ah, I'm getting yeah, old. I'm getting fat. I don't really want to train anymore. I don't want to really go inside, right? And I feel those days in well. these smaller town departments are coming to an end, where the new open-mindedness that the the younger thinking leadership mentality is coming into play, where like Grant was saying, he wouldn't be in the position he's in now if it was the old way where you, you know, grab a corner of a building and watch. It's you want to get in there. You want to do something. You want to be, you know, hand in hand with, with your brothers and sisters in there. If, if you're not moving forward with the department, you're moving away from it. And I'm just, I love the, the whole direction that it's going. Um, and I, I don't think that a large portion of some of the previous leaders that um, we've had, maybe, um, would be anywhere near as open to the progression that we have here as as we, we have now. you got to be that team leader, right? Yeah. you got to be active and in there with everybody. That's right. I, I think leadership is way more important in a volunteer organization than it is in a paid position because... You have to, and it is an art, you have to influence people to get the job done because you can't necessarily hold a volunteer accountable. Whereas in a paid position, you can hold somebody accountable. So it's, it's a lot harder. And we were talking about this when you came in to the business one day, and I was like, having leading volunteers is hard. 
this is difficult. These these are your friends as well in in this environment. Whereas in a job, in a paid position, you know, you're you can lead, but you're also the boss. You're the commander in that situation. Mm. Even in the military, you're still a commander. You can be held accountable for your actions. You not only have to influence them, but inspire people to. Yeah, yeah, certainly. (laughs) Whereas if it was an employee, you could say, hey, it's time to clean the toilets. Go clean that the com- that comes back to, to yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that comes back to Scott's you know what's it, what was that the bank yeah yeah yeah, that yeah. yeah. you got to have that capital, capital right like yep. and then when you ask that crappy job they're gonna do it yeah because you built that up yeah that's an excellent example yeah we need some good janitorial service at the fire hall here everybody's <laughs> listening <laughs> for what it's worth we don't run around in filth it's not too bad. Scott does. Have you seen his gear? <laughs> What's on me? Kind of smells. We're gonna have a washing machine. Kind of kind of kind of guys. Guys. <laughs> We're gonna All come and get our them. gear cleaned at your hall. I feel like that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're not having a dirty gear. Yeah. Uh, that is another podcast in, in time. Um Yeah. No. Everything there. I I love your point there, Ash. Like it's it was a very valid thing, and I do think you're right. I think that whole. That whole leadership thing was it was based on this this knowledge, this elders' knowledge, which we all know and we appreciate. Like, don't get us wrong. Everybody who has been in the fire service for a long time, uh, in, including time with Todd, uh, <laughs> has got things to offer. But in the sense of when you when you get to that point where you, your body can't physically do it, your mind's still stable, and you've got the knowledge of either the area or. Certain things that had happened in these buildings, they'd been in there fifteen times a, a month. Like just that kind of that kind <clears> of uh, history and old ways, it's still valid. But you need to be able to know when those things aren't and when to kind of you know step away. And I think you're right, Ash. People like that were instead of standing down, they were stepping up. It was like, oh, now if I get this red hat, I don't need to go in the building. I can still be on and do some fun stuff. But now I can be a little bit, you know, push my way from the outside. And I think that's why a lot of it hasn't changed. What was that that line you said yesterday, uh, the other day? Oh, 200, years, 200 years of tradition. tradition. Yeah, happened by progress. Yeah. yeah. And it's that thing, right? Because, again, leaders, leaders, uh, leaders were the people that went there to, what did you say, went there to die? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I didn't even know that. <laughs> wow. I did say in James. I'm glad that's changed. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so we're gonna I'm gonna pick it up from there and we're gonna kinda move this. So <clears throat> I wanna talk a little bit about the selection process and how you how you look for skills or at least just a, not even necessarily a full skill set, but how somebody um, in your eyes would need to kinda look to be able to become an officer, skills that you would require um, if you were looking for skills in in a new trainee. Because obviously, being in the training sessions, you're seeing these guys, you're seeing their skill sets. Obviously, we 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 go black hat, uh, black hat, yellow hat, and then red hat. Um, with with blacks being new and the yellows being uh, the next. What's what is what's the name for yellow? Just straight. Yeah, and then we've got captain. Um, officer so at that point you look back you're looking in the back yellow hats what kind of skill sets are you looking for what do you need there grant to step up to leadership yeah to step up to leadership like i i I think it would apply in a difference in different scenarios so 
you know, if we're coming back, who would I leave in charge of a group of people? Who has that ability? So we did that on our training night on the scenario on Thursday night. I jumped into the officer seat knowing full well what the training scenario is, that we're going to be part of the training. So I looked in the back to see who the three people Did were in the back. Mad at you for... Probably, maybe not the best selection. No, I think it was a good selection. We, we, had, we, took, we selected a senior firefighter um, who certainly has potential and, you know, could handle that position. No, I'm sorry. I meant he got mad at you. Not, not at, he got mad at you for you selecting him. That's what I meant to say. He got mad at me yeah. for selecting him. Like he's like, oh, I didn't have any chance to think. It's like, well, that's what happens. That's what an officer <laughs> does when they when yeah. they jump into the seat. They got to make decisions in a short time frame. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, what are 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 these people capable of doing the job? Um, do they have the skill set, and will people follow them? <clears throat> I think those are important things, and I think that touches on to what you said, Todd is all those things. Are they open-minded? Do they have continuing education? Mm -hmm. You know, are they open-minded? Uh, the continuing education, do I see that person at training? Are they fully capable of doing that job? Um, no do they have, do they, do they have experience? Um, yeah, I mean, I hit on those things without even looking at the notes. <laughs> Except for maybe that last one. <laughs> yeah, so I look for those things when they turn around. So. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you, you were... Uh, you were talking as well about um, why you were looking and why you chose the people oh, for sorry, the training yeah. team. So, right? yeah, because before, like, a year and a half, two years ago, we, it was just a training officer was a, a single job. And that's what my job was for and for quite some time. And it was it was just started getting too much. Like, to get quality training, just having one guy trying to do it was, it was, you know, like, I think I, I said this in the previous podcast we've done, um, I would... I would concentrate on my session and then I'd just tell a random guy to teach or not random officer to teach the other section. I wouldn't know what the hell was going on in the other section. And sometimes I got feedback like, well, yours is pretty good, but like, cause I put thought in mine and I worked on mine, but theirs was kind of like, mm. so it wasn't necessarily the best choice just to have a random officer teach it. So what I started thinking was, well, I need a training section. Because it was starting to get too much. So, and I think to get the best training, we we had needed a, a team of people. So, we made this training section, and I sat down to talk to the chief. And we talked about who would be good for training section, and the people we I selected were people that I thought would be good captains one day. And that's kind of like it's like our pool to choose from. The way I look at it is because you you can start in training, you get the respect in training. I think by leading the people because you have to learn how to lead. Is you're leading small groups of people in training. Um, people also get to know, get to hear your voice, get to used used to listening to you. Uh, not kind of giving orders, I guess you're giving. Orders. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like you're not giving like. Yeah, I mean you're giving yeah, orders. You're telling people what to do. You're giving yeah, instruction. instruction. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. people are getting used to that stuff, and then you go do it. So once you, once those training guys are ready, they can step up to captain now, and it's kind of already built in that people are already respecting you and listening to you for the most part. And then my hopes is the next, you know, so those people are going to step up to captain, and then we'll fill the we'll fill the training section up with new people that are up and coming, but maybe aren't re they're ready to lead yet, and then that'll be the kind of succession management. It sounds sounds pretty solid, right? I mean, uh, I don't know how do you how do you do it in the moment there, Todd? Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, like Scott said, that's you know it comes back to his bank reference, right? You're building the bank, even though those people aren't officers yet. Um, because it's really important that, you know, you got to 
you got to build a succession plan. Like, uh, you know, something happens to those officers, you need somebody to step in right away. You know, whether it's, you know, we're a volunteer department, maybe they don't show up, maybe they're out for, gone for the weekend, you don't know. Um, so you need to build that succession plan, and, and I think that's a great way to do it. Um, in the past, we've always had one training officer. And when I rejoined, uh, it was it was very challenging because, you know, life gets in the way. You know, people get busy and their career gets in the way. And then that person's not around and the other officers had to try and pick up the slack and create uh, a practice, you know, out of the blue. And that gets very hard. Uh, <coughs> and you want to keep things exciting, like we said before, in practices. So now we try to have the officer group as kind of like the, the training uh, the instructors. So we all work together and, and building plans and, and teaching. However, sometimes it does start to fall off the rails a little bit because life gets in the way you get busy. Um, so I really like the, the idea of how you guys do it, how you've branched out to other people to bring them up into those, into those ranks. We're doing that right now. We sat down and with the list and looked at a group of people on that list and said, you know what, you guys pick the top three, four, or five people that you think would be good officers in the future. And we all kind of picked our few, talked about them, and um, you know now we're approaching the membership and telling them, look, like this is this is the new way of of um, uh, getting into the selection process for officers. And if you feel that like you're ready and willing to, you know, come talk to us, and we want to start like an officer development program kind of, and have a mentoring program. Um, and it's I'm looking forward to it because it's very important. Uh, one of the issues we're finding right now is because we're low on numbers for membership. Right. So it's, it's pretty tough. Like you can't always pull those guys aside on a scene and say, okay, how would you start running this? Or work with them, have them follow you like a, like a true mentor. Uh, or you follow them and give them some guidance. Um, just because we're short on manpower, it's hard. Like everybody's hands on. So I think for us it's going to take a little bit longer than kind of how your style is working right now, but we are heading that route, and I hope we stick to that route. I think it'll work the best. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good way. Because not only are you, not only are you slowly kind of casually grooming them people to to step up, but they also know all the new skills, right? They're training mm -hmm. them. You, the best way, like you said before, Ash, the best way to teach something <coughs> is to know it. You can't mm -hmm. do it any other way. So you know this stuff going in, which means that when you're on the fire ground. You already have that strong knowledge, stronger than the people, necess not necessarily, but stronger normally than the people that are under you, right? In the sense of you're the guy in that captain's seat. Well, I think you also will understand what the importance of the training. Because like we were saying, it's important to have the captain have the training. Well, if you were part of the training section, you will understand why the training is so important. So once you become a captain, I would hope they don't get lazy they stop, not, just really suddenly stop coming. So suddenly, I don't think any of the people we've selected are going to be like, eh, I know enough. I just want to stop. I'll stop coming to practice. I don't know, it might be one. I hope none of that. Yeah, I hope none of the guys that are, that are currently in the training section do that. No, it comes back to that yeah. continuing education, right? You have to stay current. You yeah. got to stay, stay fresh. Yeah. So, and then yeah, like I hope those captains once they become developed and they become captains, they'll. It will stick with it, and then it will just hopefully it'll be a process that continues. Right, um, that's my vision. I think we talked about this though one day, the business about training your replacement. Yeah, you should always be training your. You should always be training your yeah. replacement. Makes your job easier, mm -hmm. as well. So we should be training our replacements. 
Yeah. Gotta be really mindful of that, eh? Gotta be mindful. <laughs> hey! Yeah, you should really First, be mindful. Mindful. Of that. Mindful. <laughs> the mindful That's drinking the mindful game. That's the mindful swear drill. <laughs> yeah, it's a mindful drinking game. Mindful. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are assholes. <laughs> That's why we're here. We'll yeah. be more mindful. Yeah, you should be mindful of your assholes. <laughs> so, to, to come over a little bit, um, I'm gonna. Th- why don't you mention a windshield survey? And I, I'm not really quite sure what it is, because you didn't get into detail. It was kind of offhandedly mentioned. So can one of you explain what that is? Now, I would explain it, but the person I actually learned it from was was Todd. <laughs> so uh, I'll just let Todd explain it. Yeah, Thank, so thanks, this, <laughs> this, this comes into, um, into my other job, my career, is from being a paramedic. Is You know, the, the, the nice thing on a fire ground is, you know, we have a lot of people there like in whether it's one truck two trucks you usually got your incident commander a couple officers a couple other people that are well versed and the nice thing with volunteer departments is everybody has a different background a different level of experience so you always have that experience to, to, to draw from if you don't know something uh you can always ask a question bring it to your group uh and you know that comes into that what was it the dictator what was that one called democratic no, democratic democratic, so democratic. The democratic. Yeah. um and there's a time and place for it however you know, in the ambulance world, it's, it's you and your partner. And, you know, when you get that call, same with the fire service, and you're in that jump seat and you're driving to that call, we call it the windshield survey. So as we're driving up, you're looking through your windshield and you're looking for everything. And this is what a lot of people don't think, but when they think, oh, well, I want to be an officer because I, I know a lot. Well, great, but this is where the experience comes into play. You know, when I'm going to a call, I'm thinking, okay, I've got this person, this person, this person in the back seat. I know I'm thinking of their limits, uh, their capabilities. I'm thinking of, uh, okay, what does the scene look like? I know the area. I know the address. Uh, I'm looking for a hydrant. I'm looking for um, uh, wind direction poles. I'm trying to visualize that all right away. Um, if I'm going to an MVA, I'm thinking, okay, where is the ambulance coming from? Um, is there one ambulance coming? How many patients do we have? Am I relaying that to the dispatch? Am I asking for more information? Uh, as we get into that, as we're approaching that scene, now I'm looking through that windshield, and this is where the name of it comes from, is, uh, you know, I'm looking at, okay, where are we going to park? Where, which way is that wind blowing? How many people are there? Is, there? is there smoke? Is there fluids? Is there, you're looking at so many things, and you're trying to um, soak all this in. At the same time, you're listening to the radio, you're probably giving other commands to other trucks or resources. You're talking to your crew, getting an action plan, incident action plan going. And all this stuff is happening so fast and so quickly. Uh, you do it kind of subconsciously. And paramedics, we've gotten really good at that. Because um, you're thinking, as I drive up to a, an ambulance scene, okay, how many patients do I have? What's the condition of them? What's the mechanism of injury? What are my priorities? Um, you know, and you got to make those those smart objectives to really streamline what you're doing with what resources you have. Uh, and the fire service, it's it's no different. You know, you're sitting in that jump seat, and you got to do that windshield survey. You got to get that, and it's not your primary survey yet, or your scene assessment yet. It's just your windshield survey. It's it's preparing kind of as you go, I guess, but as you arrived. I think one thing again. Back to Jocko with the prioritize and execute because you're prioritizing that you get that list of everything when I get to start organizing like okay priority one priority two uh-huh. or what we talked about a few weeks ago was a win the win principle what's Still important win. now mm-hmm. and we always talk uh, like you're always asking yourself what's important now okay now what's important you're just constantly going on that list so you may have to like Todd's saying you may have to reorganize your list 
You bet. Depending on what's happening. It might, you might have your list well organized, and then, oh, shit, something just changed, and then we got to reorganize it again to make it fit. I like that because it's it's simple and it's it's precise, right? It's what's important now. That's yeah. going to change. We all know that mm-hmm. fire scenes are so dynamic and fluid that it's going to change. Well, shit, now something's changed. What's important now? This is what's important now, okay? Yeah. We'll finish that objective and we'll go on to the next. Yeah. What's yeah. important. And that can change so, so fast. <coughs> I mean, like you say on that windshield survey, you're driving up and what you can see from two blocks away, you can already in your mind have actions going on you're already starting to take you know steps and now you're half a block away well your windshield survey that that whole snapshot of the scene has blown up has changed so yep. now that you see all this extra stuff what is important now that i see so much more um exactly. I, I really like that yeah so yeah so one way we've been doing a train it recently is uh we were just talking about this like when we're doing scenario nights I'll, or me for now, but you know, one of the other training section guys could do it too. I sit in the, <clears throat> I sit in the officer's truck with them because we, we try to get them to go first to this scenario. Like we set up a big scenario and we try to get them to go first, just like a real, a real scene. And then I will sit with them and ask them like, okay, what do you, what are you thinking right now? What do you think we need? So then whoever the officer is will be like, okay, what do I need? I need the ambulance. I need, the... and as we get closer, he's, then he'll ask me questions. Like, cause you know, scenarios aren't always going to be exactly to real life, but I always relate back. Like, what are you thinking of? Well, you know, is there cars in the driveway? Is there this, is there that? So it just getting to think that way. But in training, you, it's harder to, cause it's in real life. It's, everything's right there in front of you. So in training, I try to, I try to load that while we're driving. Help paint so that help, picture. Yeah, help, yeah, help them along. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to jump on what you're saying there too, I think that's super important. Is as you're driving that call, you're not quite doing your initial uh, windshield survey yet, but you're already pre-planning it. For me, as soon as that pager goes off or I know what call goes, I'm visualizing that in my head, and it might be a lot worse in my head until we start arriving and you actually get to do that windshield survey. But already, I'm thinking like you said, okay. Uh, what other resources do I need? Do I need a call for mutual aid? Do I need a call for another truck? Do I need to call more ambulances? You know, police, search and rescue, whatever it may be. And we need to, in a volunteer department setting, as you guys know, we need to do that early because it takes a long time for people to mobilize and to get there. Whereas, you know, full-time departments uh, in a city, you've got resources everywhere. Uh, so it's it's a big change in a rural area. I know, uh, I was just thinking last week we had a, we had a call for an oil tanker that was yeah, smoking. Yeah, we did. And we're all, we're, we're all stoked because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was like an oil tanker. And I'm just wondering what, because Grant was, uh, Grant went direct. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what he was thinking because it's an oil tanker smoking and it turned out to be not. <laughs> well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what happened. And I heard the rumor there was an oil tanker after I left the scene. I was like, oh, sorry, I thought you had to tell you I mean, I got to the scene and there was a truck with a big tank on the back. And one of the firefighters just happened to be in the area and went direct. And he's like, yeah, it's an oil tanker. It could be filled with gasoline. I was like, how do you know that? How do you know? He's like, I just know. I, w- I walked to the back and there was two holes yeah, in the yeah, back yeah, of the yeah, tank. Yeah. There was nothing in the tank. I mean, there's a little smell of oil. There's two big holes in the tank. It was not an oil tanker. Maybe at one time it was 50 years previously. But I, I can tell you on, on, on our end in the truck, we're like, 
So what is that? Goddamn oil tanker about to this is gonna be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there was like Woo's and let's go boys. Where's the plaque book? <laughs> yeah. But as soon as we relay yeah. the information back, yeah. Bob's then, like only one truck. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, that's yeah. and that's what it you know, then everything starts dialing back down. I'm like, okay, yeah. now what's important? <laughs> yeah. And that sucks as a volunteer when you don't make that first truck and now you're at the hall and you're hearing it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that that call sucked. I and I was I was so. I mean, you you never want anyone to get hurt. You never want to be anyone in situ anyone to be in a situation where they're going to get hurt. But you do kind of want to put water on stuff sometimes. And it was just one of those days where as soon as I heard that, I just I rushed out of the store I was in, threw my cup of tea on the side, just kept running. And I was close enough that I knew I was making first track. It was like this is going to be a happy day. And then we ended up spraying water on people's brakes to cool them down. You're thinking, man, I saw those YouTube videos of the blevy. I'm going to have front row seats. And then nothing. And then it's brakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a sad day. Um, yeah, so as a... Because we... I guess that's another thing as well with officers. Um, ours, we have a, one guy that normally goes direct. Um, and in this instance, it was it was you because you were close enough. Now we don't always have the officer who is close enough. We just have the person that goes. Um, so sometimes you're there a little bit before us. Sometimes. So when you're getting there on your own, and you know, bear in mind that we've just done the kind of we've done the windshield survey. Um, when you get there and you see the guys pile off the truck, you've already got some kind of understanding of what obviously has happened in the scene and where we're going with it, right? And what you've got in mind, does that change when you see who gets off the truck, or is it just a, then it just comes down to that point of just re reshuffling the the chess pieces? I I think sometimes it does certainly, uh, but my goal when I get on scene is to do the scene survey for, and then it's up to the officer on the truck to utilize their resources. That's their truck. We're relaying information. Don't come down the driveway there is a power line that's coming across. So the, that information is relayed right away, or you don't have to come code anymore. You know, this is just a door pop. Um, the person inside is fine. So we're, we're just relaying information. I think it's the officer's responsibility in the truck to utilize their resources. It's a great point. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. yeah, I really like that because sometimes, um, <clears throat> sometimes the person that's on scene, is, you know, we have a plan on the truck and we get there and then we get there, and the guy on scene's like, "This is what's going to happen. Well, we have a plan. No, it doesn't matter. This is my plan. Well, we have a. We already have. No, we're doing it this way. <laughs> okay, that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who's on the truck. Yeah. There's six people injured, in, you know. And I relay back to the truck. Yeah, there's six people injured, and they're going to utilize the guys on the truck. They got first aid skills, or if there's a paramedic on board or an EMR. They'll utilize those. I have no idea who's on the truck. Yeah, because we've already had like discussions while we're, we're driving. Like the guys in the back are having discussions. You know, the driver and the, um, the captain are having discussions in the front. So we kind of there's already a plan in place when we get there usually. And so it is good when the when the officer on scene kind of lets the, lets the truck do what they need to do. Yeah. I mean, we you know again the commander's intent. We we know what he wants us to do more or less because he's related over the radio. So more or less, we know what he wants us to do, and we've already come up with sort of a plan on it. You know, so when we arrive, he's like the, you know... It's still know, incident command, so yeah. I could still be incident command, but, you know, he's controlling that scenario, the yeah. next officer. Right. And I think that comes right back to what you said, like, for what's important now, right? 
uh, your instant commander, whoever it may be, if it's a chief or just a, a first officer on scene, um, you know, they're doing that size up and relaying you that information, like you said, and you're going to develop your incident action plan and you guys will kind of combine your, your uh, plan together and start relaying that information off. And it's important to not have that chief micromanage uh, those scenes. Like he's got his overall idea, but you know that's why he's got to know his officers and know all the other members. Uh, so he'll he'll just tell you, hey, this is what we've got, and take a step back. Not continuing to say, well, I want you to take this hose here and go to this corner. He shouldn't have to worry about any of that. Just hey, this is what we've got. There's a gas uh, line. Uh, at this end of the house on the Bravo Charlie corner, what have you, right? And then uh, that off truck officer will continue his, with his plan, and the incident commander will be able to step back and worry about all the other command issues at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's important to to keep that flow, um, but at least kind of stay. We we all try and share that information around a little bit, and it happens on scene. We try and kind of, you know, the, even the guys with the hose in the hand, they try and be privy a little bit to what's going on so that you've got a little bit more of a foresight as to what you're about to get told. It's tough with the noise on the ground, obviously, uh, even over radios, as we found out the other day. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's kind of, we, we've, we've hit a lot tonight, um, and there's a lot that we, we covered <coughs> which I think there's chunks of it that I'll pick out that we can kind of revisit again later. For part three. For part <laughs> <laughs> For the true series. <laughs> Leadership from the apparatus point of view. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's not a bad one. <laughs> so we're going we'll, uh, to call it there. So, uh, Ash, Grant, Thanks. Scott, Todd, and Mr. Spence. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> Thanks, one, boys. I think one last thing. I want to throw out there is for uh, any other officers uh, or new officers that are learning is um, uh, one thing that we've, I've learned in, in my career is SMART objectives. And that stands for specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time bound or in a timely manner. So as long as you keep those in the back of your mind with what Scott was saying, with uh, what's, important, what's important now, um, those are very important factors. Uh, that dynamic is always going to change on the fire scene. Uh, so you need that to be very specific. You know, is, And now is this specific task, is it measurable? Is it achievable? Am I going to be able to do it? Like, How realistic is it in a t- certain time frame? Because we know fire, that fire is continuing to grow. Things are changing. Structures are getting weaker or what have you. So it's, a, it's an important adjunct to be thinking with. And that's yeah. it. Great, great point. Great and we all love acronyms. Yeah, exactly. Smart win. Is it SMRT? SMRT. Okay, boys. Thanks again. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.